Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. time in Galatians and uh, there's lots of messages and we've chopped in between, we've had a camp in between, we've, we've had I think Father's Day was in there somewhere, so we've had a few breaks, so let's do a breakdown of what we've gone through in Galatians so far so we can be up to date. A summary, let's start with this, Christianity is for everybody, there's only one gospel but this isn't a bad thing, it's good news and yes, I meant that pun, following the gospel takes us somewhere that is specific and wonderful. And the opposite of the gospel is living in slavery to one of two thieves, either the restraint of the law or unrestrained desires. Now, that destroys both the gospel and our personal identity. So Christians are instead challenged to continue to believe in the gospel of Christ crucified. And that's a gospel that is a new promise and creates a new family in God. The law brings us into slavery by forcing obedience to limits under threat of punishment but living the gospel brings freedom to choose limits for our own benefit. Following the desires of the flesh brings us into slavery because we have no limits. But living the gospel invites us to embrace limits as a gift. As we let the Holy Spirit do his work of grace within us. This helps us find freedom, life and holiness, which we are then called to encourage and support in our sisters and brothers as we bear one another's burdens. And that's everything in Galatians so far. You with me so far? If you're not, take a screenshot of that. So now we get to the end of this very powerful letter. Paul gets to the end and he enthusiastically starts to bring the letter full circle and he writes what is basically like when, when somebody sends you a printed letter and they scribble a note at the bottom of it. So our MP did that recently. They, uh, Rachel Sanderson sent, sent us a, a fairly generic letter that she sends out to a bunch of people, but she noticed it was to us. She knows us a little bit and she wrote a little handwritten message down the bottom just to make it personal. It's the little touches that, that get you re-elected. Smart, smart thinking. But it's also the sort of thing Paul is doing here. He's, he's basically been um, transcri- getting it transcribed the whole time. He's speaking it out loud. Somebody's writing it down for him. And at the end, he's like, no, no, give me the pen. I want to write this myself. And he starts to scroll it down himself with passion. Paul has got something to say. And we get to the end of this. He wants to summarize the point as this. The only thing we have to hold on to in this life is the cross of Christ and what that has done in us. And that is what Paul wants us to catch. Now, if I can't get an amen from you at this point, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But thank you. I appreciate that. I receive that. So today, I want us to take us through to the end of this letter and, and fasten your seatbelts because it is going to be a bumpy ride. Paul has some stuff to say and it's going to hit hard, but it's going to be helpful for us as we understand what it means to be followers of Jesus in this moment in time. Is that all right? All right. All right. So hold on tight. Keep your Bibles open and let me take us through all the way to the end. The thing that people hate most about us Christians, it's not that we have an exclusive belief system and it's not that we want to convert people to believe the same things we do. And let's be honest, we do. We think it's the most important thing in the world. And it's not even judgmentalism. It's hypocrisy. 
Because it's one thing to have all those things and to claim an exclusive faith and to try and get other people to follow it and to even to be judgmental towards others. It's one thing to do all those things and then to claim a perceived higher moral ground and then to undercut it by behaving exactly like everyone else or worse. That is just, there's a sense that as people see that, they go, listen, even if I don't believe it, I hear what you're saying, and it sounds like you're claiming to follow something higher, like you, you believe in more for the human experience, and we do. And so when there's such public breakdowns of that trust, people are gutted even more, and they should be. People turn and look at Christians and go, aren't you supposed to be better than this? When pastors are having affairs and embezzling funds, when CEOs that call themselves followers of Jesus are deliberately destroying and plundering the earth for profit, when Christian fathers and mothers are going home and getting drunk and beating their kids, these are the sorts of things that when you do them normally, they're horrific. When you do them in the name of Jesus, they're grotesque. It is somehow even worse again. It's compound interest of cruelty. And so when this happens, Paul comes to this moment and he says, there is a reason this stuff happens. And it is because we are trying so hard to force the issue of Christianity. It's because we're trying too hard to hold a moral high ground, but we're trying to hold it for the wrong reasons. This is what he's saying in verses 12 and 13. He's talking to these legalistic people that are pulling new Christians away from the gospel. And he says, those who want to make a good impression in the flesh are the ones who would compel you to be circumcised. Here we go, it's up behind me. But only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves, and yet they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Now, how can I give an example of this in 2021 where there is a really clear example staring us in the face? Online church, bear with me. In-person church, bear with me. Everyone take a deep breath. Okay, exhale. Now promise me, no one's leaving the room. Online church, pinky promise, until you've heard me say the whole thing. Let's talk about vaccinations. Somebody just cancelled me already. I haven't even started. There's a particular brand of legalism at work in our culture right now. It looks like this. Get vaxxed or get cancelled. This means that if you don't inject yourself with new medicine, not only are you at a serious risk of personal sickness, you are banned from entering a lot of public locations in a way that does not apply to any other disease. And there's a decent chance you're getting fired from your job. That's pretty rough, but it's even rougher in a city like Adelaide where we have an 81% first dose of the vaccination rate. We have a 63% second uh, dose rate. This is uh, oh, 66%, sorry, as of yesterday. And uh, we have one active COVID case and we have no vaguely significant outbreak since November last year. We had 16 cases in one day. We went into lockdown and Victorians chuckled behind their masks. So why do we show such legalism about this? Why in our hearts is there this desire not just to get vaccinated, but to enforce that on others? Is it fear of the most vulnerable? I don't think so, because they themselves can get vaccinated and get protected. I think the more realistic answer is a self-preservation mentality that's in us, a desire to get back to what was, to get back to normal. Now, normal's gone. That's, that's a whole other sermon. 
but normal is gone. And when we have this desire to get back there, and then we get this groupthink mentality, which is just yelling, get vaxxed at people. And it seems pretty evident that this is much more about our comfort more than love of our unvaccinated brothers and sisters. And this is hard to hear. But if you're in this room and, and you've been contemptuous and dismissive towards an unvaccinated friend, I just want to encourage you, you, you need to sincerely repent. If you're a Christian and that's been your attitude, dismissive and contemptuous of those who are believing differently from you, you really do need to repent. So that's, that's legalism, what Paul calls boasting in the flesh. But Paul also points out that the opposite is true. That we can abuse the freedom we have in Christ. He puts it this way in Galatians 5.13. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Which means, other side of the story, that our unvaccinated sisters and brothers in this room need to think long and hard. Really? Why am I not getting vaccinated? That's a question that needs to be asked. Because everything I said before, when it seemed like I was coming down very hard on vaccinated people, I kind of want to come down harder on them because I myself am vaccinated. I am double vaccinated. So I'm coming down harder on the people that are kind of more on, in alignment with where I am. But here we have to ask ourselves, for those who are not getting vaccinated, we need to ask ourselves this question. Given how we are called to love our neighbours as followers of Jesus... Given that all the data around vaccination says that medically, economically, and socially, this is the best way we can protect ourselves, we've got to ask ourselves why. And the main reason, I'm going to put conspiracy theories to the side for very obvious reasons, the main reason seems to be freedom of choice. Now, I have a lot of sympathy with that. For a guy who stands up the front every week with a microphone telling people what to do, I really don't like people telling me what to do. I have a lot of sympathy with that argument. But I think Paul would say this, what is your freedom for? Your freedom is given to you in order that you can love your neighbour. The freedom in Christ we get isn't so we can hold on to it tight, it's so that we can give it away. That's the gift of the freedom of God. So it is freedom to love your neighbour and love your God. And given all the data that is available and the relatively unhelpful responses that have been given by people on why not to get vaccinated. Are you sure you are loving your neighbour the best way? Having said all that, as a vaccinated person, I am unwilling to push that upon my unvaccinated sisters and brothers. I'm, un I'm unwilling to tell them what they must do. I want to point them towards wisdom that I think is wisdom and suggest they do that. But in no way do I want them to be forced into doing something. That is not what freedom is for. And that is why I find it very, very troubling that we are looking at ways to remove freedoms from unvaccinated people in a way that doesn't happen in any other disease at all. Now, now that I've successfully alienated literally every person in the room, let me say this. The gospel is for everyone. And it means, this is what Paul would say, in the gospel, I am free to make a decision without being trapped under the law, but I'm freed for the sake of loving other people. And so I willingly embrace my own ability to come under a vaccine in order to love others well. 
It is both of those things at the same time. That's the tension of the gospel. So if you're in this room and you're vaccinated, I would ask, how are you loving neighbors well? Are you provoking them? Are you being cruel to them? Are you speaking kindly to them? And to the unvaccinated in this room, I would say, how are you loving your neighbor well? Are you being kind to them? Are you provoking them? Are you being cruel to them? Are you speaking well of them? It's exactly the same. Can you hear that? The gospel proposes the same challenge to us on each side of our particular agenda, our particular fence. That's the, now that is the heart of everything. I'm going to get into that a little bit more later. And it centers on the cross. Stay with me here. I'm almost done. I know how upset this can make people. I, I know that when a preacher says something like this, it can stick in your mind and you can get distracted the rest of the sermon. Try not to do that. I want to tie this up and we'll move on, I promise. Look how deeply it ties into this passage. Look how deeply it ties in. We want to make a good impression in the flesh to compel other people to do what we think they should do, not what they do. That's not freedom. That's not what the gospel is for. Jesus challenged those who had the perceived moral and legal high ground to humble themselves, to love their neighbor and to seek the face of God. But we don't do that in our society right now. And he ate with the perceived sinners to show them he loved them. And through his loving actions, he challenged them to live a life of holiness that honored God and loved their neighbors. The tension of the gospel, it is foolishness to the vaccinated and a stumbling block to the unvaccinated. That is the nature of the gospel. Online church, in-person church, exhale. I'm done with vaccinations. Let's move on. But it is a pertinent, right, right, perfect example of what Paul is trying to say about the tension of trying to live under the law but not held by the law. That's the difficulty of understanding grace. Let me unpack it in a different way. Because Paul wants us in this final part of Galatians to see something about our motivations. Most of us desire to fit in some way or another. That is, uh, we want to be known, we want to be liked, we want to be understood, we want to be valued. These are very human, very primal desires. Some of us, however, want the opposite. We want to fit out. We want to stand out. We, while we want to be known and liked and understood and valued, absolutely, we kind of want to swim against the cultural current. And some of you in this room are like, yeah, that's me. And, and you're probably quite proud of it if that's the case. And Paul would say to those people who want to swim against the cultural current, and to those people who say, I'm a conformist, I, I just want to be known, I, I, want to, I want to be fairly comfortable and go with the crowd, he would say to those people, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> he, he would not care. He would say, that is not the point. It's not about whether you fit in or stand out. It's not circumcision, which is law following, or uncircumcision, which is a counterculture in that environment. They don't mean anything. They're irrelevant to the gospel. What counts, Paul says, is a new creation, that you have become a new human being. What counts is that through the cross, the world has lost its hold on you, and you're an entirely new person formed in the image of Jesus Christ. And so what counts is that how you seek to live comes from your certain knowledge that God loves you, He knows you, He likes you, He understands you, He values you, and there's nothing you can do or cannot do to change that status. God gives it to you as a free gift. That's all it is. We can't do anything about that. You can't earn it. You can't run away from it. It is simply there. So whether you are somebody who likes to go with the crowd or go against the culture, Paul says you're a new creation in Christ either way. How are you going to live? See, God 
in Galatians 3 and 4, Paul says, has called you not just his servants, but his children, his own family, heirs to everything he has, everything God has. He says, my children have. That's you if you said yes to following Jesus. He deliberately adopts you into this new family of God. That's what Paul means when he uses this strange phrase, the Israel of God. It's his way of saying there's now a new family in God. It started with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, became the tribes of Israel. We found its kingship in King David, but it's found its ultimate kingship in King Jesus, who has reconciled all of creation to himself and begun a new family in God. Amen? This is a good part, so you're allowed to amen. But the new family has a new culture, and that culture is sacrificial freedom. So you are free to love and serve the world best and the people around you without desiring their approval when your ultimate approval comes from God. That's what we need to shift around. That's what Paul wants us to grasp. Now, please hear me, church. Hear me online, church, because if you can catch this, it'll change your life. If you can begin to find your sense of approval, not in the people around you, your peer group, your friends, your family, but in your identity in Christ Jesus, that will transform everything. If you can find yourself and know yourself above all else as a child of God, that will transform how you see the world. It will begin to ease anxieties. It will begin to remove stresses and remove pressures as the things that creep in on you from the world telling you behave like this, think like this. You go, actually, I, I really want to ask God's wisdom on this first. And you'll begin to find a way, capital W, the way of Jesus moving through the paths of the world. It will transform you. You will stop searching so hard for the approval of others or even self-approval when you know you're already approved. And out of this identity flows your freedom. As an already loved child of God, who is approved and adopted and included, as that child, you are filled with God's presence, the Holy Spirit, and you are enabled to change the world in thousands of tiny ways, rather than feeling the pressure to personally be the saviour to all of the world's problems that we get bombarded with through social media all at the same time. The gospel frees us from those pressures and champions us to make a difference regardless. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what new creation does. So this gospel that Paul has been talking about is good News. That's what the word means. It means literally good news. We get it from the old English word Godspell, which means to bear glad tidings. And it's glad tidings because of what it represents and from where it originates. So it represents freedom. Freedom from trying to find our identity and justify our worth by following laws. But the gospel also represents freedom from being trapped in cycles of addiction as well to immoral behaviour and self-justification. The same gospel that frees us from a forced obedience to this moral law challenges us that our life does have meaning and that meaning is not something that we invent ourselves or find internally. The gospel brings us freedom from forced moral behaviour and slavery to the law and it brings us freedom from unhinged immoral behaviour and slavery to our instincts. The gospel appeals to our humanity 
It offers more than our basic self-serving desires, but it imbues us with divinity by giving a vision of holiness that is unachievable by our best works, but comforts us with grace when we fall short. The gospel represents freedom, but the gospel comes from the cross. See, every major religion church has symbols, icons, and they represent what that religion is about. So Buddhism has the lotus flower, and that represents the Buddha rising in purity above the defilements of the world. Islam has the star and crescent, and one of the most popular meanings of that has to do with Ramadan, and Ramadan is a fast, a removal from something, a removal from something of the world in order to magnify God. Judaism has the star of David, which can represent the six days of creation and the life that came from it. But Christianity has the cross, and the cross is an instrument of torture and death. So either all Christians throughout history are sociopaths or there's something else going on. It's, it's the second answer, just in case you're wondering. The cross was a Roman instrument of torture. It was the place where Jesus, the very centre of the Christian faith, was murdered by the ruling authorities. Too rebellious to fit in the box marked religion, too holy to fit in the box marked sinner. Jesus was too dangerous to be allowed to live by anybody. So they killed him on the cross. And Christians saw it as a symbol to be embraced. Now, why? Why would they do that? If the cross represents death and persecution. Why, why hang it round your neck? Because on the cross, Jesus rose above the world like Buddha, but not free from the defilement of sins. He bore the defilement of our sins. On the cross, Jesus magnified God like the crescent moon, but He didn't do it through withdrawing from the world. He did it by becoming part of the world, taking on Himself a shameful death. On the cross, Jesus saw life come forth, but to do so, He had to step not into creation, but into death that would create a new creation. The cross is an object intended for shame. But on the cross, by dying an undeserved death, then being physically resurrected from the grave, Jesus turned it into an object of glory, of good news, of freedom. He has given you that gift through the work He did on the cross. Everything pales into comparison with the cross. It is the centre of human history. On the cross, Christ set you free. Now, some of you here, you may have been in church all your life, but you know actually that you're a bit of a slave to the law. You might not believe it in your head. You definitely wouldn't say it out loud. But when you look at your actions and what's going on in your spirit, you realise you've been trying to work to earn God's love. You've been trying to earn His approval. And so what happens is when you fall short, which is what happens when we approach divinity, Instead of feeling convicted about changing your behaviours, you feel ashamed about who you are. There's an approval that needs to be broken. See, internally, you believe that living morally is the way to earn God's love and that that'll bring freedom. But the message of Galatians is that no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And then some of you, you may be here and you've always rejected any externally imposed morality. Who is someone else to tell you what to do? how to live your life. Who's to tell you what good means? You're already free, right? But when we create a morality construct for ourselves, we are confined by the very desires that drove us to create our own morality construct. What are we running from? We are not free. We're slaves to the same desires of the flesh 
that led us to reject God's moral law in the first place. Now, internally, you may believe that living authentically is the way to freedom and that freedom is an expression of God's love. But the message of Galatians is that actually our flesh desires what is against the Spirit of God and that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the cross, my friends, sets all of us free, whether we are trapped as slaves to the law or enslaved to our desires. It doesn't matter. The cross sets us all free. It is an equaliser. It is an equal opportunity salvation implement. So when you can say, as I come to a close, band, you guys can come back on. Like Paul says here, that the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. You've discovered true freedom. You've discovered the freedom of the grace of God purchased on the cross. Now that's a pure freedom because it requires nothing from us in order to receive, but it's also a costly freedom because it required the death of the Son of God to obtain. You see how expensive that purchase is. But now in Christ, the old person is dead and the new is alive. And your life, it will not, it should not be the same when you follow Jesus. The world and its pressures, it's dead to you. But Christ is alive working in you, giving you life, making you new from the inside out, giving you a heart of loving service for the world. Let me remind you that what God is doing in you, the freedom He is gifting to you is not just for you. It's for the world. It's a gift to the world. This is what N.T. Wright says about that new life. He says, One must lose everything, including the memory of who one was before. And one must accept and learn to live by a new identity with a new foundation. Everything, including the memory of who one was before. Now, it's not that Christ is going to wipe your memory clean. He's calling you to something new. Something new. You can't just try and follow the law and bring that with you. Christ says, leave that behind. Neither can you choose to rebel against Him and live in an immoral way while trying to follow Him as well. Christ says, it's not going to work. You're choosing two masters. But I am a way that will give you freedom for your whole life. You will find freedom in me. You will find life in me. You'll find hope and meaning and truth in me. And I'll set you free to live the life you've always been called to live. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.